The Apostle Paul was a pharisaical zealot. Earlier in his life, he believed that he was pleasing God by doing what he did. He was a persecutor of the church. He pursued Christians with reckless abandon. He was there at the stoning of Stephen, held the garments. And on a road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to him and began to transform this man's life from the inside out. And later he was to pen many of the scriptures that we have for us this day. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul wrote these inspired words. He said, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. If you are here today and walking in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, be encouraged. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul went on to say, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. There is much of that going on in our world today. Have none of it. Don't be duped. The one who is hanging on the cross in these moments is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Christ Jesus, the Christ of which Paul, many years later, would write these words. And then I believe he makes what I would call a meditative statement. Colossians 2, verse 9, For in him the whole fullness, in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The King James renders this verse, For in him dwelleth, in Christ dwelleth, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. That is he who hangs on the cross of Calvary in these moments together. Our fifth word is taken from the 19th chapter of John. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. I thirst. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And the scripture goes on to say, when he received it, he would then utter the sixth word, the seventh word. He's near death, Jesus is in these moments. And even in death, Jesus was mindful of exactly what was transpiring in these moments as he hung on the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ always had a prophetic sense and the historical redemptive thread that is woven throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation in essence was being fulfilled in a major way in these moments. As the King of Kings and Lord of Lords hung upon the cross of Calvary. Jesus was crucified closer to the ground than often is depicted by artist renderings. Those around about him 
family, friends, the soldiers. We've heard tell of them. In the earlier homilies here, Jesus was there, very intimate, very personal, very real. The word for thirst in the Greek is simply dipso. It's one word. It means either literally or figuratively to thirst, to thirst after something. From strictly a physiological perspective, it isn't all unexpected why Jesus would seek to say these words. All that he had experienced at the hands of the Romans, he had been flogged and afflicted by the cat of nine tails, the images, I say this every year, the images of the passion of the Christ come to mind. I have a very difficult time watching that movie. The flesh ripped from his back, ripped from his shoulders, pieces of his beard stripped away from his face. They were merciless. They followed orders. As Pastor Jamie alluded to, hardened indeed. The crown of thorns that was placed upon his head, such as these hanging on this cross, a lit for us. They placed those on his head and they beat that crown with reeds. They did indeed spat upon him and mocked him. The very realities of going through the crucifixion itself, none of us will ever experience. Dehydration begins to occur, let alone all of the pain and agony of the nails in the wrists and the nail in his feet. The beating that he had undertaken on his back and other parts of his body rubbing against the wood, he would begin almost immediately to experience a very severe headache, a fever. Nerve endings in your wrists and feet would become raw. The headache comes. You experience cramps in your abdomen. You become very nauseous and sick. It is said that even one's eyeballs dry up in their sockets as you continue to dehydrate from the loss of blood and sweat and bodily fluids. The tongue begins to expand and swells. Psalm 22 continues, My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. When David penned those words, I do not believe that he realized how prophetic they were. Jesus knew this psalm indeed. From the 69th psalm, scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. His vocal cords had become so inflamed, it was difficult for him to even speak in these last moments of his life. I believe that as he uttered these words, I thirst, it was more of a gurgling, almost animal-like. So it's no wonder that our Savior was physically thirsty. Exposure to the heat of the day, 
the physical exhaustion of pushing himself up with his feet, trying to breathe, and when his legs became so cramped, one would arch their back just to be able to suck oxygen into one's lungs. And it was actually suffocation that would bring death in crucifixion. I want to assert to you today, I believe with all of my heart, that this fifth word, I thirst, I am thirsty, speaks very profoundly, most profoundly than perhaps all the other words of the humanity of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some here with us this afternoon may doubt and be perplexed as how could Jesus Christ be fully man and fully God? Being the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is at creation with the Father and the Spirit, the Word was God and the Word was with God, and nothing that was made was not made without Him. It is He who hangs on the cross in these moments. Again, Colossians 2.9, For in him the whole fullness, the completeness, lacking in nothing of deity, dwells bodily. And again, in Paul's letter to the Christians at Philippi, he said, Have this in mind, this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, or a thing that needed to be grasped. The Apostle Paul had come to a place in his life where the Lord inspired these writings, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the historical redemptive thread culminating in the most significant event in all of history. The only other in comparison would be his birth. R.C. Sproul puts out a daily devotional, Ligonier.org. And recently he wrote these words, He said, I remember the remarkable success of the little book published in the middle of the 20th century by J.B. Phillips titled, Your God is Too Small. Some of you have read that book. Talks about the focus of God in part. R.C. went on to say the book was a ringing challenge to seek a deeper understanding of the nature and character of God. It obviously struck a nerve as multitudes of people devoured the book in a quest to expand their knowledge of the majesty of God. R.C. concluded, I wish that someone could provoke the same response with regard to Christ. All the more so in our culture today. And it has affected each and every one of us to varying degrees. At times we can talk about God. But you begin to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. And that is what separates all the rest from Christianity. Religion being man's attempt to get to God 
and Christianity being God coming to man to initiate relationship. Paul wrote in Colossians in the first chapter, he said, I have become it, that is the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want to ask you to implore you this afternoon to consider the true humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ reverently and lovingly, perhaps as never before. Simply put, Jesus was proved to be really, truly, certainly a man, a human being, because he suffered the pain and agony which belongs to humans. Our Lord, however, endured a thirst, much different than the thirst each and every one of us have experienced from time to time. It was the thirst of death that the Lord Jesus Christ was now experiencing. It was the thirst of death that was upon him now, and more the thirst of one whose death was not a common one. For the writer of Hebrews says it thus, But we do not see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That he might taste death for everyone. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ had a physical thirsting and a longing. But I declare to you this day throughout his life, from the time that he was a child in the temple and his parents went looking for him for three days, and what was his reason for not being found in the caravan? Don't you know, I must be about my father's business. He had a sense of destiny, of purpose, of calling. Can you imagine? He spoke of his death. He predicted his death. Jesus once said, The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. The world must learn that I love the Father. Know that today beyond any shadow of any doubt. It was the love of the Father throughout the years, throughout the days, throughout the hours, throughout these moments, the love of the Father that motivated the Lord Jesus Christ, a love for the Word, the Old Testament, a love for fulfilling the Father's will precisely as He discerned it and knew it, and it burned in His life, His heart. How is it that we today can comprehend such a road that the Lord Jesus Christ walked upon in such perfect obedience 
to his father. Often I will use that analogy in counseling. I will simply tell people Christianity is likened unto walking on the road in a right direction. It's a fulfilling of a will that is perfect and holy and righteous and just for you. Seek nothing else. Jesus understood his father's perspective in every sense of the word, even as he uttered this word, I thirst. Our progressive sanctification is like that. It's like walking down a road in the proper direction, fulfilling the will of God. To what degree are we accomplishing that today? For those here perhaps in doubt and wondering and pondering, can this be, can this Christianity be this simple that there's nothing for me to do except begin to believe to surrender my will, not just intellectually or emotionally, but to surrender my will to the King of kings and Lord of lords who died for me. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, While thus we admire our Lord's condescension, which literally means a behavior that implies that somebody is graciously lowering himself or herself to the level of people who don't deserve. While thus we admire our Lord's condescendence, let our thoughts also turn with delight to his sure sympathy, for if Jesus said, I thirst, then he knows all our frailties and woes. The next time we are in pain or are suffering depression of spirit, we will remember that our Lord understands it all, for he has had practical, personal experience of it to the nth degree. Neither in torture of body nor in sadness of heart are we deserted by our Lord. The path upon which he walked is paralleled with our own. No matter where the Lord may call us, no matter where we find ourselves this day, God will begin afresh and anew in these moments this afternoon. The Lord Jesus Christ was thirsting, yes, for water, for God, whatever they would offer to fulfill that scripture, but he had a much deeper sense of thirsting and fulfilling what his heavenly Father desired him to fulfill. Back when Jesus started his ministry in the temple, He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then the scripture says he rolled up the scroll and handed it back to the attendant and Jesus sat down and I just love this imagery. It said every eye in the place was fixed on Jesus. Today, our eyes are fixed upon him in a different context. But then Jesus said, he began saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus had a sense of destiny, a thirsting, a longing. Jesus, the sinless lamb of God, who in obedience to his father's perfect will, 
his humanness so vividly and authentically being demonstrated now in these moments on the cross, crying out that he is thirsty, he is about to die for you and for me. Paul wrote, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. We have no right, we have no business, no authority to seek to define how it is we are made righteous in God's sight. He provided his son. He's providing him in these moments as we meditate upon the very fact that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He had a thirsting in the physical human world that we all experience, but he had a thirsting and a longing in his spirit to fulfill the will of his heavenly father perfectly. How are we doing? How am I doing, Lord? How are any one of us doing in seeking after, fulfilling the will of God in our lives? Every detail, every relationship, ministry, education, spouse, our careers, our hobbies, every detail of life, the Lord desires to provide us perspective and insight so that we might walk that road as the Lord Jesus walked the road to Calvary. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, he told the woman at the well, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The Lord Jesus Christ emptied himself literally of bodily fluids so that we might be filled eternally with a water that would never run dry. A spiritual water, a miraculous presence by God's Spirit. Whether sitting or kneeling, Permit me to lead us in this prayer concerning this, our fifth word, I thirst. O Lord Jesus Christ, who even though you wonderfully fashioned all things, stooped to take upon yourself human form, and being found in human form, endured the cross, despising its shame. We love you for every parched and painful moment spent on our behalf, that we might drink of the water of life freely and live, even as your strength was dried up like a potsherd and your tongue cleaved to the jaws of your mouth. It was that springs of living water might well up within us unto eternal life. With grateful hearts, we praise you this day. And all of God's people said together, Amen.